Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me on First Responder Psychological Support. This is Season 1, Episode 4, and this is about the Make It Safe policy or idea, by and large, but I first want to introduce myself. My name is Sarah Gura. I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. I'm also an EMDR therapist, a yoga teacher, and my private practice is the self-care path in Burridge, Illinois. And again, today's topic is about make it safe. So let's go ahead and get started. I would love for you to take a nice deep breath in that expands the chest and just allow that to exhale on your own when you're ready and pull those shoulders down and away from the ears. Maybe close your eyes if it's appropriate and safe to do so. And let's just get nice and comfortable and ready ready to rock, right? So what I want to talk about today is about how do we make it safe at a police fire dispatch department, maybe even in an emergency room, to talk about psychological well-being or psychological health and um, how we can begin to maybe create a policy in the state of Illinois. Because, you know, I just did the intro and we talked about all these signs and symptoms. And so I just want to bullet point mention some of the things that we can start to do or at least we can plant the seed and start talking about it in this podcast to see if it can become a reality. Because in the last, you know, over the last 10 years, I've been talking about it, but we haven't done anything in the state of Illinois as of yet. And one thing that I'd like to mention when it comes to first responder psychological support, we do have wellness programming, but wellness programming in my mind is for the physical body. And on top of it, the wellness programming only started to incorporate psychological support ideas. And basically, we do not have a curriculum for that. Anyone can stand up and teach whatever it is that they want. And I'm living proof of that. I can stand up in any department, at any academy, it seems, at any particular event that I have been asked to speak at, And I can say whatever I want. And I try to be, of course, as genuine, as authentic, as real as possible and say what I think should or could be happening based on what I am personally witnessing. But I think what we need is some wellness programming that is the same, right, throughout, you know, one particular state at least. So we need to start talking about psychological support as different, I believe, from wellness programming if, in fact, you're going to have a policy for psychological support. Because we don't want to use the physical model, the physical injury model for psychological injury. It needs to have a separate standalone policy. Now, again, I've already written a first responder behavioral health policy, and that will be a separate podcast that I talk about. But I'm just going to bullet point mention some things before we talk about the Make It Safe initiative. So another point that I want to make, if there's no wellness programming and there's no SOP or SOG for addressing a psychological support issue, 
then of course we have to talk. And of course, we're going to have to start again, planting the seed for a first responder behavioral health policy that covers those moments in between when maybe we know someone's going through a divorce and it's starting to affect their work performance or their attitude at work, or maybe they have an anger management issue, an alcohol issue, uh, maybe just family and home life stress or a recent incident that was, you know, a potentially traumatic event at work. And right now we tiptoe around those issues because we don't have something that says, hey, if you're a first responder, you're agreeing that if these certain things are going on, we can come up to you and address it in a supportive way. And we, we can't even hardly define what that supportive way would be yet. But we need to have also an alcohol addiction policy. Uh, or maybe a way to approach when we think someone is struggling with alcohol abuse. I have heard many stories where maybe the guys come in hungover or they come in with the shakes um, or maybe they're drinking on shift even and nobody knows that or someone knows it uh, or maybe the whole department knows that they're just trying to help them keep the job but they're all really concerned and see the problem. There has to be a first responder domestic violence policy as well. Unfortunately, of course, over these years, um, I have worked with guys that have been arrested, some charged with domestic violence. I also think we need to have a first responder high risk policy. What happens when someone is suicidal, homicidal, or abusing the kids at home or an elderly person? We also need to talk about how do we incorporate an annual behavioral health review, which again, I am not about the department doc saying, hey, how are you doing? In a previous podcast, I said I'm a therapist and even I wouldn't answer that honestly. People are not going to tell their employer something very private and personal that is covered by HIPAA law, you know, and put it in their employee file. So we need to talk about how are you going to incorporate annual behavioral health reviews at your department. Now, that's something that I also already do. In fact, all of these things I'm mentioning, I have ideas for, and I'm not going to jump into each one specifically because that's like one podcast in and of itself. But again, planting the seed and just bullet point mentioning these different ideas The last idea for us to consider that we'll be talking about is an employee counseling program, which is different than an employee assistance program. So again, something that focuses specifically on psychological well-being and providing counseling services, which by the way, your, your fire department should have a mental health resource folder that's available on your share drive. No one should have to ask for it. I don't think it should be posted up in the bathrooms necessarily, unless, of course, that just helps and you could take a picture of it with your phone. But something where they can get the full facts or the, all the information that they need on a drive without having to ask a supervisor. And one of those should be your employee counseling program information, which again, in another podcast, I'll explain that that's when you get to choose your own therapist and how that pricing and that payment goes down. But in addition to that, you should have your EAP company listed. If you do have an employee assistance program company, uh, you should have that in your mental health resource folder. And it should have a phone number that works. It should have a contact that knows 
someone at the department and the nature of the job and what it is that you do. Maybe they've gone on a ride along. Uh, maybe they've done some interviews uh, with first responders to get some kind of baseline, which of course brings me to the point that I would love for you to contact some local counselors and social workers in your area and ask them to do some ride-alongs. And, you know, right now in 2020 with COVID, you know, maybe that's not possible, but in the near future, it the only way I have learned about first responders is by knocking on the door and asking, can I do a ride along? Can I do these interviews? How can I help? What can I witness or learn? And so unless you go out maybe and reach out to other counselors and social workers, they may not know uh, that they can have access to that sort of learning so that they can be more helpful to you. But anyway, the mental health resource folder should include that EAP company information I also highly recommend that you get safe call now contact information and other national suicide hotlines. Safe call now is a hotline for first responders. It should be listed. Um, make sure you have the right number, call it yourself, get some information from that group and maybe make sure that it, it's all accessible on that share drive like I mentioned before. And also list who is your critical incident stress management team who's doing your critical incident stress debriefings and how are they qualified? What is their continuing education? What is their approach? Um, make sure that you feel very comfortable so that when you call them, you know what the intention and purpose is for, for that group and what it is they can do for your guys. Uh, there's also peer support teams right throughout Illinois, uh, hopefully throughout your state if you're listening out of state Make sure that you have the contact information, a person's information. See if they have a list of clinicians that they recommend or that they're working with. I think having a list of a chaplain that is active and available and ready to do any kind of spiritual leadership. I think you should have Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance contact information. That's Jeff Dill's group and they do education as well as provide the statistics about firefighter suicides and just making sure you have, you know, his wisdom available to you uh, should you need to ask a question or ask for some support. And then of course, in that mental health resource folder, you should also have any residential treatment centers that you trust, that you have contacted. Once again, you have a person and you have an understanding of what their services are. Now, there are many services um, that are developing throughout the United States that specialize in treating first responders. You should have those groups listed. Same thing with Alcoholics Anonymous or other support groups. Sometimes they have sub-support groups just for first responders and getting a contact number and having that listed uh, for everyone to see and have access to would be a wonderful support for psychological support for first responders. And then another thing is to go to emdria.org or at least have it listed. That's E-M-D-R-I-A. So Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing International Association Dot org because they also have an EMDR provider list and you can contact someone for that kind of support. 
I also, you know, I've mentioned in previous podcasts that you should have Psychology Today listed. Psychology Today, if you type that in in Google, they have a program called Find a Therapist. You can search for therapists within your zip code area. You can narrow the search down from insurance to male and female, if you want an EMDR therapist, or if you want someone that specializes in depression, anxiety, trauma, alcoholism, relationship issues, or whatever it is. So again, we just want to start to heavily stock our support folder and make sure that we have information for people who are ready, right, to ask for psychological support. There's a couple times when I have heard fire and police leaders say, you know, I don't know, so we're going to call Sarah and then we're going to find out, which by the way, you are always more than welcome to contact me. You could shoot me a text at 815-557-1267. Now that is not a hotline. I am not 24-7 and I am not 912 for 911. But um, if someone shoots me a text and says, you know, I need some help finding a counselor. I'm happy to help you do that. You can also go to my website, which is the selfcarepath.com, actually without the the. So www.selfcarepath.com. And you'll find, you know, my fax number, my email contact, the office number. And if I can help a first responder get psychological support, I certainly will do that and make sure you get to someone that's appropriate for you. But again, today's main focus is the Make It Safe initiative. So that was, like I said, I'm planting seeds and I'm just kind of letting you know what I want to grow and what I want to develop from this podcast. You know, if anyone's listening to make sure that we're prepping the mind, not only for the future podcasts of me talking about some of those controversial policies, but to also hope that maybe you pick it up and run with it. But the Make It Safe initiative has 13 primary elements of making it safe for your department to encourage psychological support or the peer support environment where we're listening, validating, relating, and referring if if it's necessary and needed. So the Make It Safe First Responder Initiative encourages 13 items, and I'm just going to read them to you. This is something um, that I've rewritten several times, and I hope that it's helpful. So number one, it encourages every first responder to self-monitor and to take personal responsibility for his or her mental wellness. So I really want to emphasize that right now, the first responder culture is teach me what I need to know. Teach me what the signs and symptoms are. How am I supposed to approach someone if they have a problem? And I don't think that that's very fair. I think it's more effective, and I also think it's more responsible to ask each and every one of you to self-monitor. And what that means is you're going to have to start noticing yourself a little bit more on a deeper level and become more self-aware and to recognize some of the signs and symptoms that I am talking about throughout this podcast. And to know that if you know it goes from mild, moderate, to severe, or worse than that, that you take personal responsibility for your own mental wellness. That's the culture that I am advocating for. Number two, 
This initiative encourages every first responder to seek psychological support when confronting potentially overwhelming difficulties, whether they're personal or professional. Number three, the initiative encourages every first responder to be a peer supporter by reaching out to other first responders known to be facing difficult circumstances and for every first responder to respond appropriately to that peer support and keep an open mind. How important is that? We, we have to start agreeing that we need to connect with one another and that that connection and those relationships are what is going to save us. Someone who is rejecting help, someone who is rejecting connection or rejecting relationships is in and of itself a warning, okay? Now, number four, every first responder should avoid the use of pejorative terms to describe first responders seeking or engaging in any type of support services. Allow firefighters to talk about it, cry about it, ask for help without judgment or criticism. And I can't emphasize that enough. Again, in a culture where you were told, don't cry about it, don't talk about it, don't ask for help, or something must be wrong with you, pull up your big girl pants or whatever crazy, terrible thing you tell each other. That should end because when someone gets hurt, we all empathize. We may say, I'm so glad it wasn't me, but I'm so sorry it was you. And if we could take that, that empathy, that sympathy, that compassion, that care, that kindness, and transfer it to the psychological well-being of each other, that would be great. Now, number five says, every ranking first responder should use their status to role model what it means to self-care in a career that will overexpose its employees to human illness, human suffering, human death, human stupidity, and property destruction. I just absolutely love that. If you don't have leadership that believes in first responder psychological support, as they say, the shit will roll downhill. And that's extremely unfair if you consider yourself old school or hardcore or salty or not interested in the evolution, the growth and the development of first responders. We need to allow this change. It's 2020. And so definitely the upper ranks need to be role modeling the importance and significance of self-care. Now, number six is all first responder leaders and administrators should better educate themselves about the nature of first responder behavioral health issues and to take the lead in responding more appropriately, effectively, and competently to those first responders in need. So again, if you don't have an annual training plan that educates you about first responder behavioral health issues, that is going to hurt your guys. It must be included in the leadership. Again, it's 2020, and we need to allow this to start to become a little more official and more real instead of, you know, behind closed doors, under the table. I feel sometimes like an underground service where people go and it shouldn't be so upsetting or potentially shameful to someone to want to ask for help because they want to feel better. So number seven, all first responder leaders and administrators should have a behavioral health policy in place 
and initiate incident-specific protocols to support their first responders and their family members when first responders are involved in potentially traumatic events. So what a great idea that maybe you have a list of different situations or incidents that could possibly or have happened and you know what you're gonna do for that. You know when you're gonna call the critical incident stress management team. You know when you should be calling for peer support. You know when you should be calling the chaplain or an actual counselor, social worker, um, or whatever group would actually be helpful in that particular moment or within those 24 hours to first week of it happening. Number eight, Basic training in psychology topics, as it is relevant to the first responder career, should be available to all first responders. That training should include knowing about potentially traumatic events, vicarious traumas, trauma bonding, compassion fatigue, codependency fatigue, burnout, stress management, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, drug and alcohol abuse, relationship issues, and responding to high-risk high ideations like suicide, homicide, or the abuse of another person. So I think that speaks for itself, right? We all need to know and understand the dynamics and the statics of first responder psychological support issues. Now, number nine, it says this initiative encourages the development of programs that engage preemptive, early warning, and periodic department-wide first responder support interventions, like a proactive annual check-in, any renewal or updating of first responder behavioral health policies, any first responder behavioral health events or wellness events should include psychological support topics and ideas, that we should have prevention programming and education and significant other and spouse support programs. And I highly advocate that when you have a person in their first year, that you have a proby wife or spouse program as well, where they meet other wives, they may go on a ride along, they may learn about the career and about the psychological effects that could be coming home to them. Because a lot of times guys sit in front of me, of course, male or female, and say that their spouse just doesn't understand the job or they don't feel that they can have that conversation with their spouse or they want to protect their spouse from that conversation. And when you sign up to be a first responder spouse, I think that that is a heavy responsibility. And even though we don't sign you in, we don't swear you in, you don't take an oath, um, you are a huge part of why first responders are available to the public. So we are doing quite a disservice by not having any spouse support programs. We really should. Now, number 10, every first responder entity should engage in appropriately structured, properly trained, and clinically supervised peer support team or other helpful group programs as long as they're available. I think it is important to make sure that you have a licensed professional in a helping field to support and to advise or oversee any team that you create in a wellness program that is geared specifically for psychological support. And my reason for that is, is in the past, we have had so many different types of programs that attempted to work with psychological support. And it kind of gets overtaken, and my word for it is bastardized. And 
we don't have anyone clinical overseeing it. Now, for the programs that do have a clinical you know, supervision component to it, that's absolutely beautiful and fantastic. What I don't want is for firefighters and police officers to become the authority in that team or on psychological support topics. I don't think that's fair and I don't think it's professional. Again, if my kitchen was on fire, my hope is you wouldn't expect me to develop the skills to put it out when that ceiling reaches a certain temperature and I have a flashover. Like I I can say that language, but I wouldn't know what to do in that situation (laughs) except for run for the hills. Or if I was in a situation, you know, that needed investigations, I hope you wouldn't count on me to make all those phone calls and to take a look at what happened in, in that situation. I would hope that your detectives would do something and take care of that situation for me. So again, leave the professional to their profession and respect the boundaries of what you can and cannot do. Now, the next one, number 11, every first responder entity should provide easy and confidential access to counseling and specialized first responder psychological support services. That goes for all the EAP and employee counseling programs especially. I have had a little bit of resistance to that, um, but we're getting better and better at privacy and confidentiality and understanding what a release of information is and et cetera. But that's, again, more podcasts. I have so many ideas and things that we'll be talking about. But number 12, moving on, every first responder at all levels of the organization must use accurate knowledge and a positive attitude regarding first responder behavioral health so that others are encouraged to ask for help and to not hide or isolate when they're experiencing a psychological or other personal or professional difficulty, right? So a lot of times, once again, that isolation and that hiding is a high risk factor in suicides, for first responders and the general population. So we don't want people hiding and isolating. But if you're a jerkwad type of leader, then no one's going to tell you or no one is going to ask you for help. And we need to make first responder leadership a safe place to go. You got to have at least one guy for each guy, right, that they would go to and ask for help. Now, number 13 Every first responder should embrace the life safety initiative number 13 of the 16 life safety initiatives, which is first responders and their family members must have access to counseling and psychological support services by doing more than just offering an EAP service or 1-800 number. We should allow as many initiative suggestions as possible to help first responders with their psychological well-being. So if first responders wish to do best for themselves, guys, and other first responders too, right? We want to do the best for ourselves and for others. Then it's really time to make a change. It's time to make a difference and it's time to make it safe. It's time to make it safe to really start embracing that there are physical injuries and there are psychological injuries at police and fire departments or when you're working dispatch and even in an emergency room. So that's what I wanted to cover in this particular podcast. I want to thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. 
Again, I'm Sarah Gura. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor for first responders at the Self-Care Path in Burridge, Illinois. And do life so it doesn't do you. Take good care. And of course, stay very safe. Bye.